Last week, Lori and I were watching the Ohio State game, and Michigan had already played, the, I think, the previous day and lost. And I don't know if you know or not, but Lori and I are the regional leaders for the state of Ohio and Michigan. And so we, when we get all of our pastors together, we have people cheering for Michigan and people cheering for Ohio State. And, and so Lori said, well, um, Michigan already lost, so we have to cheer for Ohio State to lose, too, so one half of our region isn't, doesn't have something over on the other half. And I was shocked. I mean, that she would be, what, what would you call her, a, a traitor. That, 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 that ha- the only word that comes to mind. But um, this is going to be a great, a great uh, conference, great couple of days. I strongly encourage you to come, even if you came last year and God touched your life through it, come again, because there's something deeper God has to do in your life, something deeper He has to do in the lives of the people in your circle of influence. And this is such an issue today that we need to be equipped to help other people, even if we don't need help ourselves. So come. It's going it's to be life-changing. All right. Well, let's start today with uh, one of the declarations that, that we've used in the past. I'll say a phrase and you say it after me, okay? All right. So this is a great day. God's doing great things in me and through me today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. All right, good. Start every day with that. Your life will be better. When you open your eyes in the morning before you get out of bed, you say this out loud, your life will be better because it's based upon the truth of God's goodness. It's who God is, what God's doing in our lives. Now, let's do this, but let's do it for the church and for the year, okay? So I'll say the phrase, then you repeat it after me, all right? This is a great year. God's doing great things in us and through us this year. This is a year of victory and breakthrough. All right, I believe that. This today, yeah, I hope you do too. That's good. Today is a Vision Sunday, so today we're going to focus on what God's calling us to in a fresh way, God's fresh call to us as a church, and, and with that vision for the future. And, and really, basically, it's what, what we've heard God saying to us as leaders over the last couple of years. We've been, we've been hearing God speaking to us, and it's been percolating in our hearts. And we come to this year, and we see ourselves at a point where this is the time for us to tell you about what we believe God has for this church as, as we look into the future. But to start doing that, I want to look back to the beginning. And at the beginning of this church, uh, Lori and I founded the church in 2001, started with just the two of us, had half a dozen people come to us pretty early on, and... Um, and, and as we were praying about how, you know, how, how to establish this church, we felt that God gave us three core values. And the first one was to be mercy-driven or mercy-based. We wanted a culture that was filled with mercy. Second one was that we wanted to be supernaturally empowered because we knew that we couldn't do this on our own. It takes God's supernatural power 
not working beneath the surface where, you know, it's kind of invisible, but in open, visible ways, the power of God to encounter us as a church body. And the third one, along with the heart of Jesus, that we would be outwardly focused. And all three of those values we held to very tightly. But as I look back, that first season of time, we were really working on establishing a culture of mercy. And that, that was the emphasis. That was what, not, not ignoring the other two, we taught about supernatural ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. We did outreaches and taught, taught about outreach and emphasized that. But the main thing, the foundational thing, the season we were in was a season of learning to be a culture of mercy. And part of that was that we had received a prophetic word uh, in the second prayer meeting we had. A guy uh, came to the first meeting, he and his wife, second meeting he came and he said, you know, God has not called us to be part of this church, this new church, but I got a word from God this week that I want to share with you. And that word was this. God spoke to him and God said, I will forge my church out of broken people. I will forge my church out of broken people. And we took that to mean people who recognize their imperfection, people who have hearts that are not looking with superiority on other people or judging other people's hearts because we recognize our own imperfection. And, And it was really out of that that came this notion of spiritual growth that we established the church with, and that was that what, what we called it was the next step approach to spiritual growth. And it came about because I was praying, and I've pastored in different churches over the years, and I've seen in church life a thing that happens. And that, that it starts with pastors. I, I was taught in seminary, and a lot of leaders and pastors were taught that if you're not doing it in your own life, you shouldn't preach it. Okay, now in the absolute sense, that's true. But we, what we've done is we take that and we kind, of, we, we kind of push that to the level of a perfectionistic thought that says, if I preach on loving my wife like Christ loves the church, and then I realize, well, I'm not really doing that, you know, the whole way that Jesus did, then what happens is I start pretending as the leader that I am loving my wife fully as Christ loves the church. You get that? And when the leaders pretend, everybody pretends. And so with that as my background and, and realizing that I, you know, I, I'm not perfect, if, if, if I have to be practicing everything I preach, then I'm not going to be able to preach anything. <laughs> and so I'm saying this to God, and we're talking, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't want a culture that's based upon that type of legalistic thinking and judgmental thinking. How do I do this? And, and the Lord, I think it was Jesus, because it, he spoke it this way. He said, tell them who I am and what I'm calling them to. But tell them all I'm asking of them right now is to take the next step. And so the question always has been, What's God saying to you about this, and what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to that? And so, now, I've, I would also share something like this often, oftentimes. I would say, now, 
If you're sleeping with your neighbor's uh, wife or husband, or if you're robbing banks, the next step is not cut it down from four times a month to two times a month. Okay. So if you're doing something like that, the next step, I can tell you, you don't even have to pray. The next step is stop it right now. But that culture of mercy, uh, I, I remember a Sunday when we were in the YMCA, and in my message, uh, a story fit in from a, a, a man from my past, a guy I've mentioned before, to, to, you've heard, uh, a guy named Charlie Humpley, you may have heard me talk about him. Charlie was a World War II vet, real tough guy, tough man, and um, believer, and um, he had gone through some real tragedy in his life. And there was a final tragedy that put him over the edge. His, his uh, teenage son died, just dropped to dead one morning. Uh, Charlie was making him pancakes, he said. And he called and said, hey, your pancakes are ready. And he went in. He heard him say, Dad. He went into the room. And his son was sitting up in bed and just fell backwards and was dead. And um, Charlie said, that was enough. He said, I was, I was going to kill myself. He said, I went to the closet and I pulled a shot, my shotgun out. And listen, this guy fought through World War II. Whole, he was in the jungles fighting the whole four years in the South Pacific. He would have done it. And he, he's ready to kill himself. And God spoke to him and said, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to me now. And I'm not giving you permission to do this. Charlie heard what God wanted him to do. And he just put the shotgun away. So I shared that story one Sunday morning, and after the service, a young man came up to me, and he had this protrusion from his forehead right about right here. It was ugly, it was red, it was, looked look, like I had been bleeding, and it, and it came out about half an inch, and, and, and he came up and he said he had tried to commit suicide, and he shot himself under the chin with a revolver or with a pistol, but he angled it wrong, and the bullet went, instead of going through his brain, it went up right through his sinus cavities and came out right here in his forehead. And so that was where the bullet had exited. And needless to say, that whole message of me sharing that on that week had a profound impact upon this young guy's life. And then a man who was part of this church for many years and it was without him, I'm not sure would be where we are right now. He had been a director at P&G and, uh, you know, very, um, just very sophisticated, you know, good, godly man. But he spent months with that young guy, just accepted him. And that young man, someone who had just tried to kill himself, found a place that he could come in and could admit to that and still be loved and still be cared for. And so God worked through that season to create this, to make this church a culture of mercy. And, um, and, 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 we, and we went on, we emphasized as well supernatural ministry. It wasn't like we ignored that or we ignored outward focus. But we went on, we built this building and we grew and church doubled overnight. If you heard the story, you know that we kind of lost track of some of our, our, our values for a period of time. And um, then in 2009 to 2011 or so, God was speaking to us once again saying, you've got to get back to the basics of supernatural ministry. We had the mercy thing that was part of the culture, still is. 
but we, we had allowed the supernatural side to kind of kind of wane somewhat as far as the church body went. That doesn't mean we weren't seeing people healed. I gave words of knowledge during that season of time, saw people healed. We had Alpha going, which was a powerful Holy Spirit ministry. But as, as far as like it being, being part of the fabric of the church body, it wasn't any longer part of the fabric of the church body. And so we entered then into a season starting in around 2012 of renewed emphasis on Holy Spirit ministry and a new fresh emphasis on Holy Spirit ministry that took us beyond where we had ever been before, but was something that God wanted to, to work into the heart of the church. That was the season where we had young adult house groups just explode with growth, and everybody's out doing power evangelism. What, what Teresa shared, uh, we, we've, we've referred to as power evangelism in the past, and just dozens of people going out every, every week doing that type of ministry, which we want to see continue. That, that's, that is part of the heart of this church. And coming out of this Holy Spirit emphasis season, we came out of, out of that with that being part of the fabric of who we are. It's just part of the culture and fabric of who we are, which sets, which sets us up really, really well for this next season that we're going to be moving into. But during that season as well, we did School of Kingdom Ministry. And this is important to recognize because uh, I encountered uh, Sockham, I think in 2011 or 13, 2013, in July. And I came back to the church and I said, we're going to do this. I want to do this starting in September. And Lori and a couple of other staff members looked at me like I was crazy and said, there's no way we can do this and do it well starting in two months. And I argued back, well, why not? You know, we can do it. Just let's start it. Let's just do it. But they convinced me that was wrong. And so uh, it, it was a year later that we started Sockham. And Wilson had come on staff by that time. And he's, he led it. Now, if we had started when I thought we should start, it probably would have failed because we didn't have God's person to actually lead that ministry. And for eight years, Will led Sockham, and it, it just built something into the fabric and culture of our church that we had always had, but it just raised it up to a whole new level as far as our confidence in God's power and, and the work of the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. So today, we have a culture of mercy, we have a culture of power, we have a culture of outreach, uh, we've done power evangelism, and, and, and yet, what we believe, what we're convinced of, actually, that God is leading us into is a fresh emphasis on disciple-making, a fresh emphasis on what it means to, for me to be a disciple, and an emphasis on on how do I make, what's it mean and how do I make disciples myself? And, and so we are going to be focused on giving the church body a, a kind of like a common language and a common approach to this, not, not a programmatic approach, but a common approach that will become part of the very fabric of who we are that will enable us as a church body to know how to make disciples. And that is, uh, that's something that really, I mean, that excites my heart. When we, when I'm 70, I'll be 72 in a month or two. 
And when we first started talking about this, like probably two years ago now, we started thinking and praying and talking about it. That excited me. And I thought to myself, I can commit another five years of ministry to that. And that's probably how long it's going to take, three to five years. Uh, Salkin, we ran that for eight years, and, it, and, and you see the impact it had on our church. We're not, it's not going to be a program like Salkin. But there will be things we, we do to bring this into the fabric of our church. It'll take time, but it's, it's going uh, to be worth every effort that we put into it. Because as I'm going to share with you in a moment, the reasoning for this, it, it really is what God wants us to be. It's really what God's wanted us to be all along. And we have other times we've tried to emphasize discipleship in a programmatic way without realizing you know, what, what it's going to take to actually build it into the fabric of the church. And, uh, and, and so it's what God's wanted all along, and, and we, we haven't been able to really fulfill that. But we're at a point now where God's saying, this is the season. This is the season. This is the time to do it. Uh, we had uh, Restoring Lives International, which is a ministry that uh, we as a church have been friends with. And they, they used our building for a meeting that they had recently. And I was sitting here listening to uh, uh, the, the speaker that they had brought in. He was a guy I knew from back in the 90s in Illinois. He, he was in the vineyard at that time. He's working with Randy Clark right now. But as he was speaking, Mike Hutchings, um, I had a picture of the church body come into my mind. And people, and, and, and some of you were in this picture in my mind. And these words came to me. We have an army of mature believers waiting for their specialist training so they can be deployed. Okay, this, this came to me as clear as a bell. It was God speaking to me. We have an army of mature believers waiting for their specialist training so they can be deployed. You know, when you join the army, you go through basic training. You come out of basic training knowing a lot about being a soldier, but then you go through specialist training, and you're not deployed until you've gone through your specialist training. And so what God was saying was, we have just this, this pulsating group of people whose hearts are yearning for God, walking with God, desiring God, but... What we need is this season of specialist training, and that's what we're entering into, a season of specialist training where we're going to understand how do I become a better disciple. And by the way, uh, there's, there's no difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. If you're a believer, you're a disciple. Now, the question is, am I really a focused disciple or not? Am I growing as a disciple or not? You can be a disciple that is really pressing in and, and really hungry for more of God and doing everything you can to learn more and to apply the way of Jesus to your life. Because a disciple is someone who is learning. And what that means is if I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means I am learning the way of Jesus. I'm looking at his life and I'm saying, I want to be like that. However Jesus did it, I want to do it. That's what the disciples did when, when he invited them to follow him. That's what disciples did in that day. They had a rabbi. Jesus was their rabbi. And they applied their lives to learning how he lived and to live the same way. Now, some people use the term, um, the, the term 
um, John Mark Comer, what's the word? Apprentice. Apprentice, yes, thank you. Some people use the term apprentice to describe discipleship. You know, disciple, there are words that we've used so often in the church that they kind of like lose their punch, they lose their impact. And disciple might be one of those words. But apprentice is a word that we all know means, okay, I'm going to work under somebody else and I'm going to learn how to do this. Uh, and I'm going to learn this aspect of life from them. And so uh, if, if I'm a believer, I am a disciple. I am an apprentice to Jesus. It's just a matter of am I pressing into that or maybe I've been a disciple who has not, not really pressed into that yet, but I'm still a disciple. And so when, when we look at this, uh, real simply put, we have a vision statement that we've come together with. This might alter as we go through this process that we're in, but here it is. Our vision is to weave intentional disciple-making into the fabric of our church culture. Okay, intentional disciple-making into the fabric of our church culture. And um, that's going to be unpacked uh, as, as we move into the future. But when we talk about fresh, our fresh word from God is to make intentional, to weave intentional discipleship into the fabric of our church culture. Now, when God speaks, he always speaks into a time frame. He speaks into a setting, in, into a, 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 current, uh, a current culture. He speaks into that. And so as we're looking at this, and we know that our call from God is to make disciples of all the nations, and we as a, we as a church are called by God to impact our community, our state, our, our nation, and the world through the, the advancing the kingdom of God, through proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and seeing people come into and under the lordship of Christ. See, coming under the lordship of Christ is another way to say you are a disciple or you are an apprentice to him. And so, what's happening in our culture? What's happening? Well, the past few years, we've been through a lot. Uh, war in Europe. Russia invading Ukraine. What's going to happen there? Is that going to escalate? You know, the threat of nuclear, nuclear uh, arms, n- nuclear weapons being used. Uh, other nations that are, that are acquiring nuclear weapons, and are they going to get them or not, and, and will they ever use them? Um, the whole racial divide that's happened in the last few years and the riots over that that we experienced back in 2020, 2021, political divide. And riots over that that we've experienced as a culture. I mean, these things are pretty unsettling in our hearts and our minds. Um, Sexual identity issues, the cancel culture, not to mention the economy. But what we need to recognize is that we are living in a post-Christian culture. We've been headed that direction for some time. When something like COVID happens, it, it accelerates the direction of culture is going, especially on the negative side. And the COVID, COVID happening, the lockdowns and all of that have accelerated us, moving us ahead in, in much more quickly into this post-Christian culture than, than we were actually headed. And so we do live in a day where it's fair to say we're not going to move back into a pre-COVID 
uh, cultural setting again. It's probably not going to happen. Don't, don't think it's going to happen. And when, when we recognize that, we recognize that there, there is this post-Christian culture, we, uh, we need to recognize then what was working before might not work now. Okay, what was working before might not work now. In fact, what was working before might not even have been right. It, it, it might not have been complete, and, and I'm going to say it wasn't complete. Now, during COVID, I was convinced revival was coming. I don't know if you were here then, but I stood up front here and I said, you know, Bob Jones said it, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, revival's here. And I don't know if I actually attached time to it from the front or not. If you remember that I did, please come and tell me that. I can't go back and listen to all the times I said that. I'd take too long. But um, let me just say this. I said to myself and to other people personally, this is going to happen within a year after the lockdowns end. Maybe six months or so after the lockdowns end, everybody's going to be so hungry spiritually, they're going to flock back to the churches. And we're, we're, all we're going to have to do is say service Thursday evening at 7 o'clock, and the place is going to be full because revival is here, and people are going to flock to this place. Well, that didn't happen, did it? That didn't happen. And uh, prophetic, prophetically, we have a couple of main problems with prophetic words. One is timing, especially when you have a word that's a good word. You want it to happen. You want to see it. And so, you know, our own thinking, our own emotions get mixed into it. And we don't just say, well, revival's coming, but we say revival's coming soon. And, and in, my, in my case, I was convinced it was coming within a year. And, and so we get timing wrong, just like I got the timing wrong on Sockham. I had the right thing. Sockham was the thing God wanted us to do as a church. I had the wrong time. I still believe revival's coming. I had the wrong time. I had the wrong time, but I believe it's coming. And what we need to do and what we're talking about today is preparing for it. The second thing we get wrong in prophetic words is this, methodology. You know, the Jews, when they talked about the Messiah coming, they assumed he was going to be just like the previous messiahs they had had. They had had others, champions, who, who rose up like King David, who was a prototype of the Messiah, who defeated all of their enemies and made Israel the preeminent power in that whole region of the world. They thought that's what was going to happen because that was what they had seen. And of course, they were wrong. When Jesus came, it, his, he didn't come to conquer other nations. He came to conquer sin. Well, my whole thinking was, the methodology that we have been using is going to, it's, you know, when this revival comes, we're going to keep doing the same old thing. It's just going to be a whole lot bigger and a whole lot better. And that was wrong. Because, well, it's obviously it's wrong. All you have to do is Google uh, this statement, Google church attendance post-COVID. Google that with a question mark or without. You'll get a thousand articles on why people aren't coming back to church. And, and that, we're talking about across the board. It's not happening here so much, but across the board, that's the case. And 
when, when you begin to see that, then we, be, we have to ask ourselves, well, what's, what's the answer to this? What do we, you know, how do we move ahead? And what we need to recognize is, pre-COVID, what we have used is primarily a come-and-see approach to church life. Hey, everybody out there, we're here. Put a billboard up, says, hey, we have great services, come and see. We have great worship, and we do have great worship. Come and see our great worship. Uh, I hope you can say we have some decent messages, some decent sermons. Come and hear them. But we have great youth ministry, great children's ministry. We have all these great things. Come and experience them. We're right here. Just come, and you get it, too. And that approach has worked to some degree, but it was never the full approach that God intended. I mean, I can't imagine that we would ever give up meeting, gathering together to meet and to worship together and, and to teach and be taught. That, that's all part of the picture. But the other part of the picture, we've been missing. Other part of the picture, we have, we've, we've tried different times, but we've pretty much not, not gotten it right. And that is us growing to the point in discipleship that we do what disciples do. And do you know what disciples do? They make disciples. That's what God... Disciples make disciples. Just think of uh, you put a male rabbit and a female rabbit in a cage, what happens? <laughs> Nature takes over and you get, you get more little rabbits. That's just the way of nature. And in the same way, the way God has designed things, when a person is born again and they, they become a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, I'm his, I'm his apprentice. Well, everywhere Jesus went, he was ministering to people and welcoming them into the kingdom, announcing the kingdom. And so disciples make disciples. And when, when as we move ahead... The new move is, is, is not to abandon what's happened. I mean, we'll still meet. There'll still be people coming, but not like in the past. We've had in the past where we just, just people just coming in off the street. And, and that still happens. Thank God it still happens. And, so, and, and that was not a bad season, but it wasn't a complete season. And God's calling us into a, a, a season of time now where we complete the picture. And the completion of that picture is that we are making disciples and growing as disciples so that we actually come to the point that we are reproducing disciples. And the whole come and see approach, what it does is it pushes everything in the direction of professional ministry. You come and see, come and see the, the preacher we have, or come and see the musicians. It, it, it pushes everything in the direction of professionals doing ministry, and then you all get to help us. Yeah, you can volunteer. We need someone to sweep the floors. You know, we, we need someone to, you know, to work in the nursery, which we really do, and that is a, a God-blessed ministry, let me say. We, we need people to do this or do that, so you're our helpers. That, that is really what the come and see church life really comes down to. And God's never intended it to be that way. That was never His intent. You look at the book of Acts. At the beginning of Acts, you see Peter, who's been a disciple of Jesus, 
Peter stands up and preaches a message. 3,000 people come to faith all in one day. Then uh, sometime later, he preaches another message. 5,000 come to faith in Christ. And you start thinking, wow, man, this is the way to do this, isn't it? But you know what Jesus had told them to do? He had said, go into all the earth and make disciples of all the nations. And so we got thousands of believers now in Jerusalem just enjoying the show, enjoying the whole thing that's happening. Man, who wants to leave? I want to keep, keep listening to Peter preach and James and John and Andrew and all of these guys. They're such great, powerful leaders. And some people maintain that God actually allowed the persecution to happen just to push them out. I'm not sure if that was the case or not, but that's what happened. And so in the first five chapters, you see apostles, apostles, apostles. And then in chapter 8, you see persecution. And the church was scattered, except for the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 8, 4, it says, the believers who had been scattered shared the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Okay? So you see what happened. They saw their leaders do this. They saw them do it, and they saw them do it, and they saw them do it. And then finally, they're out there. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing. And so God's pattern is that leaders are supposed to prepare the church for ministry, not just give messages to help people in their life. You know, so I come to church because my life's really pretty good, but I need a, I need a shot in the arm once in a while. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's way beyond that. It is our job is to help you to grow as a disciple, and what do disciples do? They make disciples, and grow into disciples as such to the point that you are making disciples yourself. And so that is the new emphasis, that's the, the new season that we're going into. It's not going to happen in three months. It's not going to be a class that we teach and then, okay, we've got it done now. It's not going to be just a sermon series. It's going to be an emphasis. We're, we're going to be working to see what all does this mean for us and, and how are we going to actually work this out. And honestly, I want to tell you, as leadership right now, we are growing in this ourselves. And we realize we got to do this. We got to do it. And as we do it, and that's why it's going to take time. But as we're doing it, then it's going to spread. And, and, and five years from now, we're going to have a church where we're going to say, you know, our church is filled with people that have grown in discipleship to the point that they're making disciples. That's part of the fabric of who we are. And then new people coming in, they just come into that culture. And so that's what we're pressing towards. That's what we're working towards. And, and it's essential that we do it. It is essential. We, we've been in touch in, with a, a new friend to our church. His name is Mike Breen. Mike wrote, a, among many books he wrote, he wrote a book called Building a Discipleship Culture. He's well known around the world and, um, and, and for expert on culture and making disciples. And Lori, when we started our church and in our lives, Lori and I have been greatly impacted by a guy named Gary Sweeten, uh, Dr. Gary Sweeten. How many of you know Dr. Gary Sweeten? Okay, so I'm going to share this with you. We got Gary and Mike and their wives together last week for a couple of hours just to them to get to know each other. And when Mike and Sally left, before they left, Sally leaned over to Karen and said, hey, we've got to get together again. 
But Gary said this, he said, I have never met anyone who has had more the same heart, the same background, the same experiences that I've had. And so for those of you that know Gary Sweet, you know, if you know Gary Sweet, you hold him in high esteem, okay? And if you don't, then come and talk to me. But uh, uh, I, so, so Mike is that kind of a guy, and he, we've, been, we've been in a mentor relationship with him, several of us as senior leaders for um, six, eight, nine months now. He's pastoring a church in Dayton called Apex Church. And um, Mike is just a great guy. He's British, has a great British accent. But um, he talked to us about the nuns. Do you know what the nuns are? Anybody know what the nuns are? Okay. So when they do religious surveys, they're doing a survey. And it's okay. The survey says, uh, do you believe in God? Check. Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Check. Yes. Do you believe he's the son of God? Check. Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world? Check. Yes. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Check. Yes. Have you invited him into your life, or do you know him as your Savior? Check, yes. What church are you part of? Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Catholic, etc. The last one is none. That's the one they check. Check. That is the largest group of people spiritually in our nation today are the nuns. In effect, what they're saying is, you know, I kind of like Jesus. I like Jesus, but you know what? I don't like church. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I don't like organized, institutional, whatever. You know what happens when, when, there's, when there's not the life that you really want to see in a church? What happens with the leaders is they start organizing things more. And you just become more and more organized because every time you add something, some new class or something like this or that, you, you feel like you're doing something good and you end up with an, an organization that's so tightly wound that there's no life possible there. But they don't, I mean, when you consider as well all of the failures of the church, financial scandals and sexual scandals, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I'm not sure I like church in that respect. If you look at it that way, but I'll tell you what, I like this church. I like a culture of mercy. I like a supernatural culture. I like a culture where you don't have to be perfect more than anything else, I think. And as, as we look at this, well, Mike shared this with us as well. He said that in, at the end of World War II, all the church leaders looked around and they said, well, now that the war's over, they'll come back. People will come back to church because when bombs are dropping and all of that, you know, people dropped, didn't come to church. They thought, well, they'll come back. So they just sat back and waited for them to come back. But they never came. And they never went after them. And so... We are probably in a very similar situation right now. And we can't afford to sit back and wait. We can't do that. You know, fortunately, uh, uh, you know who Mark Twain was, the author? Mark Twain said when the world ends, he wants to be in Cincinnati. 
because everything happens 10 years later in Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm not so sure how true that is. I don't know, but I do think maybe on the west side of Cincinnati, maybe it does somewhat. I don't know. I, you tell me, okay? I love, I love the west side of Cincinnati. Well, to whatever degree that's true today, let's say it's down to three years now. That means we have a jump, we have a head start, okay? Because we see this coming. And, uh, and, and, and we're going to focus our energies and our time on making this happen. It's, it's not going to happen without a lot of spiritual warfare. I'm, this, I mean, this is God's leading us into this. And we are determined this is what we're going to, this is what I'm going to give the last years, what we, Lori and I, are going to give the last years of our ministry to. Making this church a place of discipleship. And what do disciples do? Let's all say it. Okay, what do disciples do? All right. That's the way of Jesus right there. Any of you ever watched The Mandalorian? Okay. Man, man you got to watch The Mandalorian if you haven't seen it. It's a Star Wars type of a thing. And The Mandalorian is part of this group that's kind of like Texas Rangers. And they have these values. And every time they, he would come up to a decision where he would have to make a value, judgment, or someone around him, uh, he would say, this is the way. This is the way. Meaning, this is the way Mandalorians conduct themselves. This is the way they make decisions. This is how we do things. And Jesus is the way. And so I want you to say with me, this is the way, okay? This is the way. This is the way of Jesus. Let's say that together. This is the way of Jesus. Make disciples who do what? Make disciples. That's where we're headed. It's no doubt in my mind this is the thing God's leading us into, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna run this course. It's going to take, as I said, three to five years. It's not going to happen instantly. But I want to speak to many, many, many of you out there are ready to jump on right now. And if you're not ready to jump on right now, that's okay. Hang around. Okay? Hang around. We're not, we're not going to, like, embarrass you or anything like that. Hang around because... You're going to see this happen. We're all going to see this happen. It's going to be incredible. I mean, just for a moment, just do this. Just imagine that, um, that you're three years down the road, and you actually have time because you've organized your life. You have time to spend with a neighbor or with a person that you've met in life that you want to spend time with. You know, just imagine that you have been equipped to talk about spiritual things in a comfortable way. You're comfortable with that. You're not like, you're not like doing the old thing of, you, how many of you remember, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Any of you remember that? Okay. I, I, as a brand new believer, I had gone to another town to a, a Christian event, and I was driving home late at night, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and there was a hitchhiker there. Back in those days, we hitchhiked. I mean, I hitchhiked all over the place, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I picked this guy up, and he actually, honestly, he looked like Charles Manson, if you know who Charles Manson is. But in my arrogance, I thought, I can handle Charles Manson, you know. <laughs> but 
He got in the car, we exchanged names. I looked at him and I said, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And his eyes got big. And he looked at me with a dumbfounded look on his face and he literally went over to the side. And he said, why are you asking me that? I said, I just want to tell you about Jesus, that's all. We're not going to teach you that. We're not going to ask you to do that, okay? That's not going to be the way we're going to do it. But you're comfortable. We're going to teach you comfortable ways to do that, and loving, comfortable ways. And in addition, imagine you have a thriving support system of other believers that are encouraging you and helping you to keep going on the right track and on the right direction. That's what we see happening. Culture's changing. Revival's coming. We need to be prepared not only to disciple the people that come, we need to be prepared to get out there in culture and encounter them and engage them and bring them into faith in Jesus and then help them grow as disciples of Jesus. And what do disciples do? They make disciples. And so that's our vision for the future. That's where we're headed, and uh, I'm excited about it. So uh, next step, and, and by the way, we don't have the whole plan laid out, all right? You know, God's telling us, go this direction, convinced this is the time that we tell you as a church, we've been processing this for quite a while. We know a few things, but we don't know everything. And so we're pressing ahead into this. And I know the, the first thing is we as leaders are going to be coming up here telling you stories about how we have done this and what's happened so that you can become part of it as well. So February 19th, we're going to start a six-part series, we're going to, and it's going to be all on the foundational truths that support this new vision that we have as a church, and this new emphasis, this new season of emphasis. And uh, it's so important that we're going to have just one service for those six weeks. And uh, we're, going to have three, we're going to have three services, and then there's going to be an all-worship Sunday, when the worship team is recording some new songs, it'll be all worship. And then we're going to have three more Sundays of these messages. They'll, the services will start at 10 o'clock, and then uh, Easter comes after that. We'll be tying back into Easter with two services. And, and by the way, we have a couple hundred more chairs we can put in this room. We have a lot of wide aisles and space and stuff. that We'll, we'll put more chairs out so that there is room here. But that's where we're headed, and um, I can't tell you how, how excited I am about it. And this is about as excited as I get, okay? So, uh, unless the Steelers are uh, winning. But uh, would you stand with me? Prayer team, will you make your way down to the front, please? We want to pray for you. Teresa gave that incredible testimony. And, and by the way, we're not leaving power evangelism behind. We're not leaving that behind. We're, we're still going to practice that. But uh, this new thing is going to be different than that. And, and it's going to be something very easy for many, many of you to step into. Uh, comfortable to step into. Easy is not the right word. But um, 
Teresa shared that. If you're thinking, man, I want to see something like that happen, then come up and get prayer. If you have pain in your foot, you heard a testimony. You know, Old Testament Hebrew word for testimony is literally, it means do it again. You heard a testimony. God wants to do it again. If you have a foot problem, come up and let's let God take a shot at it and heal it. Uh, If you have any other issues or problems in your life, we'd love to pray for you, so make your way up. 